This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 ESPN. Good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Kim Huckabee, Government Affairs Director for the Fresno Association of Realtors, filling in for your host, Don Scordino, on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. This hour is presented by the Fresno Association of Realtors, and our goal is to provide our listeners with the real facts and real stats about our local market. We want to provide you with the information that will help you make informed decisions. We're here today with Melanie Barker, local realtor. She's been in the industry for about 16 years. She's also very, very involved in organized real estate at the state and federal level. Melanie uh, is, is quite famous for advocating for policies that make uh, home ownership possible. Um, welcome, Melanie. Thank you so much, Kim. I'm uh, happy to be here today and look forward to our conversation. Well, we're excited to have you. Definitely. Well, before we jump into this whole housing crisis issue and, you know, the different um, reasons for it, I wanted to start by just kind of talking with you about what you're what you're seeing out there and in the market. I know it's a crazy market. Yeah. So I think um, not only here in Fresno County, but our surrounding counties and really in California, we're seeing um, this supply issue, and that is that there isn't enough inventory and there is um, a shortage. Properties are going very quickly. Uh, if it's priced well, uh, then, I mean, you've got lines of people wanting to write offers. And um, it's a great time for sellers, and it's a rough time for buyers, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I bet. Yeah, I bet. And so, Melanie, you do. Uh, a, a lot of work in the outlying areas, right? I mean, yeah. So my primary market is really um, the greater Oakhurst area, Bass Lake, um, up into Yosemite. And uh, so what we're known for is a second home market, a retirement market for the most part. And um, given that a lot of our businesses um, are service sector, I would say that generally speaking in a market like this, our own workforce is really uh, priced out of the market, you know, FHA, VA buyers um, are having a really difficult time competing, if at all, up mm -hmm. against, you know, cash buyers, which I think is the case for many of our areas in California as, as well. So there's still a huge desire for those second homes. Yeah, I would say that uh, prior to COVID, our market was actually much slower than some of the others. Mm -hmm. um, but that desire to get out and away from people, uh, you know, having been locked up, really drove our market. So I am going to be curious to see what happens now that things are opening up and we move into post-pandemic, what our market actually does start to look like and whether right. or not we'll be affected by it. And of course, we have wildland fire issues and insurance and some other mm -hmm. things um, that are a little bit different as well. We'll see what that looks like. Right. No, that's interesting. You think about, you know, when people, you know, are they going to go back to work? You know, are they going to stay working remote? Can they, you know, be at their second home, you know, half of the year or all the time? You know, it'll be interesting. Yeah. And I, I think that um, we'll see some of that. I think you know, the, the common term is hybrid, right? Mm -hmm. Some words I could do without hearing ever again. <laughs> hybrid, pivot, I I, it's the new normal. Like, yeah. those are all words that I could just not do with for the rest of the, my life, really. <laughs> mm -hmm. I hear you. Oh, okay. Well, um, let's just dive in. I'm going to give just a couple market stats for Fresno County. Um, uh, this is the most up-to-date information. So right now... Um, Looks like our, the median price for Fresno County is about three hundred and fifty-four thousand, up twenty-two point one percent change from last year, which is pretty incredible. Um, Fresno County only eight hundred and fifteen active listings, which is a change of fifty-five point four percent change from last year. Uh, median days on the market six. It's just, it's pretty incredible. Um, is this, you know, pretty much what you're seeing, Melanie? Does this make sense? Yeah, we don't even calculate days on market anymore. You know, the normal is, a normal market is six months of inventory, meaning it'll take six months to sell out that supply. And so now we calculate based on absorption rate. Mm -hmm. You know, in your stat about the 815, it's interesting to note that that's actually down 55% year over year. Right. Um, so again, highlighting the housing shortage. 
Right, which I think is a great segue into, you know, our our next topic, um, which is essentially the housing crisis. Um, it's not just something that we're facing on the national or state level, but we're seeing it here. And that's you can see that, you know, just based on the inventory. Um, and so, you know, there are some things. So we already have a housing crisis, right? Yeah. You just we had one before COVID. It was coming. There's all kinds of reasons for that. You know, building is expensive. Um, we have you know, CEQA, thing, all kinds of things that have made it difficult um, to sort of solve that, solve the problem. But then you throw COVID into it and, um, you know, a lot of stimulus money and things like that. We have forbearance policies, um, eviction policies in place. And so I was hoping to just kind of talk with you about some of the things that maybe we, you know, we can collectively do to where we can mitigate some of the impacts of COVID-19 on home ownership? Well, I think that um, we can take some lessons from our the Great Recession and figure we learned a lot of good things and maybe some really painful things um, in, in that process. And I, we're not moving that direction because this is a supply issue. So I want to be very clear about mm -hmm. that. Um, but there were ways that things were handled that we learn from that we can use as we move forward uh, to minimize the amount of loss. Um, you know, some of the, the things that were interesting about the Great Recession is, um, you know, it was estimated that households lost um, $20 trillion in equity. Mm. And I don't see that again happening this time. But what could happen as a result of uh, these forbearances and whether or not the homeowner was prepared to exit um, a forbearance. So we have um, some stats related to that that I think are um, fairly um, fascinating as far as um, wh who was in forbearance in January of this year and where we are now. And we had 2.7 million households that were in a mortgage forbearance, which was good news down from uh, May of 2020 from 4.8 million. Wow. And um, so while most of the borrowers have exited forbearance, there is some concern that um, they may not have done it um, the right way, meaning they may not have really been prepared to do that. And the Mortgage Brokers Association, excuse me, the Mortgage Bankers Association reported that about 13.9% of those may not have um, exited the mm -hmm. way um, would have been financially beneficial for their families or their situation. Um, but there are going to be people, unfortunately, that are going to have to either sell their homes um, and hopefully have enough equity that they're able to um, move into a rental or do, do something um, that is safe for their families and, and their financial situation. I do also think that there is a possibility that some people may not, with the housing shortage, that's rental shortages as well, mm -hmm. may not be able to um, have a place to move to. And then we could end up with um, some homes on the market that um, are not cared for the way they are supposed to be. Right. Well, yeah, let's talk a little bit, a little bit about that. You know, when we, you know, folks that, you know, unfortunately, you know, at the end of they're not able to exit and, you know, their home needs to go back to the bank. What it, what does that look like for our community? You know, when it becomes a bank owned, you know, REO? Well, that's um, very interesting because uh, this also can lead into a conversation around the um, communities uh, that are underserved that suffer the most when it came to the Great Recession and um, what could happen as they come through the post-pandemic and not able to hold on to their homes. And communities of color, we learned um, back in the Great Recession, those homes were not well-maintained by the banks. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, uh, investors would buy blocks of these homes and not do the repairs that were needed and just rent them to the communities of color and um, disadvantaged communities without making those repairs. And we certainly do not want to see something like that happen again right. for a whole host of reasons. Um, 
And, and didn't they sit vacant in a lot of um, circumstances back in, you know, 2000, I mean, 2007, 2008? We saw a lot of squatting issues, right? right. Because, and you couldn't get in touch with the bank about the property. Right. There's no contact people. And, and so those property, properties, you know, just, they don't become automatic rental properties. It doesn't, you know, help the rental market. No, yeah. that you know that's true, and uh, and what ended up happening is that the municipalities and or counties and cities basically ended up having to accept responsibility for what we would term as blighted properties, mm-hmm. and so it put strain on our community resources, law enforcement, you know, fire departments, and just you know in some cases the general fund because. Um, the communities weren't prepared for um, dealing with these homes and because the banks weren't taking responsibility for maintaining those homes. Mm-hmm. So, th- you know, yeah, so there's a lot of different things going on, lots mm-hmm. of different pieces of this. You know, I, I guess we use the term probably too much, but it truly is. It's a housing crisis and it's, um, you know, it's not just a shortage of rental properties. It's not just a shortage of inventory and supply for people that want to buy homes. Um you know, and it. You also have you know all these policies at the federal, state, and local level that could really have a huge impact in protecting, um, or or not letting this situation get w- much worse by doing some good, good things. Um, yeah, and there's a couple ways of looking at it. There's the policies related to um, people and how we can um, protect protect them and that would be as we kind of just talked about um, when they exit forbearance if having you know kind of a safety net if you will in place um, there is um, a homeowner assistance fund but making sure that um, that forbearance is available to um, not just the federal programs but all mortgage holders as well yeah so we need to take a break but let's dive into that when we come back um we're here with melanie barker discussing how we can protect home ownership from the impact of covid19 and the nation's housing crisis to find out more stay tuned to welcome home radio 940 espn we'll be right back after this commercial break Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Kim Huckabee filling in this week for your host, Don Scordino. And today we're so lucky to have Melanie Barker, local realtor, here with us talking about the nation's housing crisis and the potential impact that COVID-19 would have on home ownership and uh, some things that you know we can do uh, to mitigate that. Um, you know, we've been talking, Melanie, about, the, you know, the fact that it's critical that policymakers, federal agencies, financial services provide um, the right programs and policies after this uh, pandemic through an equity lens to ensure that consumers, especially of color, um, will not be underserved. You know, um, we've le- the industry as a whole has learned so much from past financial crises and um I think we have a good idea of things that could potentially work. I know um, you you broke it down and you sort of put some of these policies into two different buckets, one that is related to, to really helping people and then one related to dealing with properties. And so, you know, instead of just talking about the downside of what's going on with inventory and rental properties and, um, you know, policies that we don't know how are going to shake out, Let's talk about some proactive things, you know, that we can do. Yeah, I think um, that that's important. We definitely don't want to leave today with people feeling all bummed out about yeah. uh, what's really going <laughs> There's on. There's hope. There's there, hope. There is hope. And, um, you know, part of that hope is having honest conversations with our legislators and the decision makers uh, around, uh, around the housing space. So there is something called the Homeowner Assistance Fund. And we really need it to meet uh, its goals by not having restrictive program requirements and addressing any bottlenecks that are available and proactively working to make sure that funds are, you know, available to borrowers that could really benefit from them. We definitely know 
um, that educating the consumer on how they can access the various programs available. There could be something within their community. There's could be stuff at the federal level. You know, making sure that we get information about those programs out is um, important. And I think it's incumbent too upon our community leaders to to help us do that. And um, making sure that they also, like you had mentioned, having access to credit and not being negatively impacted from the forbearance. So essentially, if somebody was in forbearance or had to have some sort of assistance during COVID-19, that that should not be reported to the credit bureaus Mm -hmm. um, negatively impacting them. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously that needs to be handled wisely as well. Um, But again, we don't want to decrease access to credit when there are uh, homeowners that could, you know, refinance or do a loan modification program or something where um, if they were negatively impacted on a credit score, wouldn't have that opportunity uh, to do that. And before the um, break, one of the things that I started to mention was that some of the programs that exist related to the forbearance are in what are called the federally backed uh, loan programs, which is FHA and VA. And I started to mention that really we need that to be across all mortgage sectors because there is private private financing mm-hmm. as well. Um, and so those, those individuals also need to have um, that available to them. And um, so. Melanie, do you think the, you know, the average homeowner out there is, some of this stuff is pretty difficult to navigate, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and it's confusing and, um, yeah, I think that, you know, the piece that you mentioned about, you know, communication and education, you know, when you need help with, you know, keeping your home and navigating through all of this, these crazy policies and um, big words. Yeah, yeah, very big words. <laughs> uh, you know, I would say that um, you could start really at like HUD.gov, which is Housing Ur- Urban Development and see what's available. Um, talk to your own lender who, or whoever you make your mortgage out to if you needed a mortgage assistance. And um, quite frankly, Google financial help mm-hmm. for COVID-19 and see, you know, and see what comes up. And um, maybe even contact your trusted realtor, right? Absolutely. I mean, That's exactly what I was going to mm-hmm. say next. You know, if you have a realtor that that you you trust and uh, you should get some resources uh, from there as well. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's jump over to, you know, some policies related to properties. We talked a little bit about it. And I I think this is a really big deal, how we handle um, properties moving forward. Yeah, again, I think, you know, we already kind of briefly talked about what, um, um, you know, the blight part of it. But I think let's talk a little bit about some of the um, opportunities in uh, some some spaces where we could actually create inventory mm-hmm. and being a little more innovative. Uh, we know that the commercial sector has um, not fared as well as um, the homeowners, the homeownership or pro- uh, private home property space. But, you know, some of the things that we can talk about is how do we utilize some of these uh, vacant retail spaces differently. We're already seeing in other states that they've converted malls or some malls are turning them into lifestyle places where they're putting gyms in and more restaurants and we've seen that a little bit around fashion fair and some of the the local malls here as well but then there's still dead space and how do you utilize Mm -hmm. that that space when there's plenty of parking and the traffic patterns and and things like that so there's ways that we can create more housing and um and that would be one of those ways that you could look at that um Um, yeah, no, those are all really, really good points. Um, let's start, Millie, I, I have not ever heard this term before. Maybe you can shed some light on it. Um, what's a zombie foreclosure? Yeah, so that is basically, um, somebody walking away from an unprofitable property. Mm. And so that would be, um, could be somebody that was an investor and um, they just decided that now they're 
not making the money that they wanted to or could. And they just literally just quit paying, walk away and sort of disappear and create these um, vacancies in various areas. And it could depend. It could be an apartment complex. It could be, you know, multiple single family residences. It just okay. depends. Okay, interesting. So that that is another thing that we can do. We can, um, you know, aggressively, you know, try to discourage, um, you know, investors from doing that kind of thing, walking away and maybe, you know, try to focus more on education outreach for, you know, owner occupant mm-hmm. type purchases, things like that. Well, and I would say, too, one of the things that exists that I don't know, um, maybe you have already talked about it on the show and I missed it, but there is, um, when it comes to that, particularly that more that investor segment, if they have rental properties, that there is funding available for them to um, get some help if their tenants have not been able to pay Mm -hmm. uh, the rent for whatever reason. It is a process because that's the way it works when you're getting assistance Mm -hmm. from the government, Uh, but that could be an opportunity as well. And, um, And it's not available just to big investors. You know, I think when we talk about that segment, we forget that we call them the mom and pop investors. Great point. Um, and, you know, it could be somebody that owns five, six, seven properties or just a couple of them. And they're, um, they're nice. They're nice landlords. They know their tenants and they are want to help their tenants out, but they also have a mortgage to pay. Mm-hmm. So where do they go? Who do they turn to? Right. Well, yeah, let's talk about that for a second. You so, know, if you are, you know, and that is the majority of our market, right? That's right. Mom and pops, um, you know, um, two to three, you know, homes that they're renting out, maybe a few more. But the majority of the, especially in our community of folks that own rental properties are truly the mom and pops and they are dependent on the rent to pay the mortgage. If they can't pay the mortgage, you know, then we're back in that situation where, you know, they could be facing a foreclosure. You know, they have right now, uh, if they're lucky enough to have, you know, FHA, VA, you know, type loans. Yeah, there's forbearance protection now. But when that goes away and that moratorium goes away, then what, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, the most that I you know, really hope that, that people, and I'm sorry, I didn't write down that website uh, to bring with me, but you can Google it. Um, and it's just home homeowners, like homeowner assistance um, for COVID-19. And there's several billion dollars that's available in California. And um, I know that each of the cities has their own program as well um, for administering uh, some of the funds to help out those um, those homeowners. And um, I think that's just uh, really uh, important for them mm-hmm. to understand that they're not out there alone. Yeah. Well, Melanie, um, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Okay. What do you think happens next? Do you? Th- I mean, what's the next big thing that? You know, are interest rates going to rise? You know, just make your best guess. What happened? What's the next? <laughs> well, we do see, obviously, we do see a little bit of uh, inflation happening right now. Um, at some point, interest rates, I think, have to rise. Um, to what point? I don't know. Any way you look at it, we've had historic interest, low interest rates since about 2010, I want to say. Mm-hmm. We're on a, a 10-year growth pattern in um, the real estate sector. We're the only industry that I'm aware of that did the what they call the V-shaped recovery um, coming off of the pandemic. And, um, you know, we still have a lot, a fair loss of employment and uh, some people are going to come back and they'll either be fully employed or partially employed Mm -hmm. and what is what you know what does that look like i don't know that we're 100 percent sure on that yet and how that's going to affect housing particularly or maybe even some of the commercial uh, commercial properties Mm -hmm. Um, i just hope the next big thing is not another pandemic (laughs) well it's sort of nice to have this focus on housing right I mean I I think um, home is front and center Mm -hmm. that is one thing that that definitely came out of the the pandemic right I mean your home became your gym your office you had children a school your playground restaurant and it's it's just become more important than ever right and so maybe that we're having these conversations maybe we really will start to see a change a shift in policies um you know that hopefully make building um 
easier to do. Um, and we can really maybe start to see some inventory increase. Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're fairly fortunate where we live in the Central Valley that we're not um, anti-growth, for lack of a better word. Um, and for the most part, we're good for re reasonable growth. But there's a complicated segment of that. And again, you mentioned earlier, um, price increases on lumber mm -hmm. and um, just the cost to build. And, um, you know, I think if we really want to address this, this crisis, it really is, you know, full court press by everybody, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's our state, that's the local. And in some cases, you know, that's the the conversation around yeah sometimes it's going to happen in your backyard mm -hmm. and um yeah i think that that really is a great point and i i think that's why i really wanted to have you here today because i yeah everyone has to be on board full court like you said mm -hmm. it, we can't do it by just um sort of like piecemealing it right yeah individual you know pieces at a time yeah well melanie thank you so much for being here today um was told it's totally my pleasure and um, if there's anything that comes out of this or somebody has questions they can always be directed to me and I'm I'm happy to answer or assist in any way I can that's great that's just great uh, to find out more stay tuned to welcome home radio 940 ESPN we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with our next guest Chris Monologo, Deputy Chief of Staff for the City of Fresno where we're going to be talking about the Emergency Rental Assistance Program, another piece of this puzzle with the housing crisis. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Kim Huckabee, Government Affairs Director for the Fresno Association of Realtors. It's a pleasure being here, filling in for your host, Don Scordino, um, today. Uh, we're here with our next guest, Chris Montalago, who is the Deputy Chief of Staff uh, for the Mayor's Office. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. 19 years with the city of Fresno. You don't look old enough. Actually, 20. Oh, 20. Okay. Yeah, All I right. got 20 years in now. Congratulations. Thank you. Pretty amazing. Uh, city of Fresno, um, you've been with code enforcement, community revitalization, revitalization. God, that was a mouthful. Division. Um, and you've been responsible for really working on highly complex land use cases, downtown neighborhood efforts. Um, and you played a key role a key role in developing the city's first rental housing inspection program. Um, it looks like you, you you really have a very impressive uh, resume. Um, you're a California chapter director with the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. Um, looks like you're involved with the National Asian American Coalition, and just really a lot in our community. PG&E's Communities of Color Advisory Group which focuses on diversity and outreach and engagement. Wow, just incredible. Yeah, a little, little bit of everything. Yeah, well, <laughs> so it sounds like your background really uh, lends itself to what we're, we're here to talk about today, which is um, the City of Fresno Emergency Rental Assistance Program. Right. Yeah. Right. So I'm, let's just dive into it. You want to tell us a little bit about the program? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, California, in the beginning of this year, uh, they received... 1.4 billion dollars that was uh, dedicated strictly for emergency rental assistance and that came from the federal government from the consolidated appropriations act and that was 2.5 2.6 billion sorry um, that came and so out of that uh, the remaining balance of that 1.4 billion uh, was allocated to jurisdictions with populations over 200,000 and so uh, the city of fresno uh, was able to receive roughly 19, uh, I'm sorry, 19 million from the state and 15, a little over 50 million from the federal government strictly for emergency rental wow. assistance. Wow, so it's about 35? About 35 million. 35 million that uh, you have the task of, I guess, you know, getting that out there to folks. And Yeah, I mean, it's really a team effort. You know, we've been, we've really had to create something from the ground up. Uh, so we had some 
some incredible help with our uh, ISD folks, which is our information services department, which which was helpful in a way because they had some experience with the rental housing inspection program. So we had sort of a database and we kind of kind of worked off of that. Um, we have some we have 10 UBNC, which is our utilities and building collection staff. That's also helping with the application process and, you know, fielding questions and, mm-hmm. you know, emails and things of that sort. So they're sort of our frontline workers with that. Are there also other um, organizations that are sort of help helping with this? Yeah, so we have six community benefit organizations that are also assisting with the emergency rental assistance. Now, prior to this, they were working on a housing retention grant. So they're sort of our eyes and ears and hands of the community as well, Mm -hmm. since they're involved in in, in, in various neighborhoods around the city. And so, uh, and just to, just to name them, Central La Familia Advocacy, Advocacy Services, Education Leadership Foundation, the Fresno Center, Reading and Beyond, Jakarta Movement, and the West Fresno Family Resource Center. So they've been very helpful partners in this process. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, what's the goal? You know, what, what, well, you know, obviously because of the, the impact that COVID has had on, on our community and really, I mean, all across this country, mm-hmm. um, we've, we've really seen, uh, you know, the financial hardship that people are going through and the impacts um, that it has had on, on our, uh, you know, our community itself here. And so with this money, we, you know, we want to be able to help and assist uh, many of our families and in, in, in people that really, really could use this assistance um, with utility arrears. Uh, rental arrears is, is the first priority, obviously, but, um, you know, we know that the housing issue has been um, something at the forefront lately, just the supply, right. uh, no, of supply, I, right, I the demand. housing has been on the front page of the newspaper more uh, than I've seen in a very long time. Right, and now add this, you know, uh, people that are have just fallen behind, you know, and have been impacted. Um, and so, you know, Mayor Dyer, his, one of his initiatives is housing and homelessness. And mm-hmm. so, you know, this, this kind of falls under that predicament predict uh that this this particular issue so so for our listeners out there if we have yeah i'm sure we have people um in our community that um you know have fallen on hard financial times and probably could use uh you know help with rental assistance can you maybe walk us through you know i guess a um you know how how the process works where to find the info uh i mean and i guess you know, does it only help with, you know, one month of rental assistance or will it go back, uh, you know, and like you just mentioned arrears. Um, right. you know, yeah, walk us through it. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I just want to be able to share that information as far as where to locate this. Um, so at the city website, the very front page, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, there's going to be an area strictly dedicated for emergency rental assistance. Um, and that, that website is... Uh, uh, era.fresno.gov. It'll take you right to that page. Uh, we have frequently asked questions. We have the application there on file. We have it in multiple languages and uh, pretty much a breakdown of what this program is about. Um, and in a nutshell, uh, really, it's it's anybody that has rental arrears from uh, April of 2020 to the end of March t- 2021. Uh, and so we're here to really... Uh, uh, get the message out to landlords because this is sort of landlord focused in a way where if they participate in this program, then we will pay 80% of the rental arrears of qualified uh, applicants. So, and, and if they choose not to, um, we still have the obligation to assist with 25% of rental arrears to help tenants or applicants that are eligible. And and again, that's consistent with SB 91. SB 91 is the eviction protection mm-hmm. sort of uh you know, uh, uh, legislation that came out that prevents them from being evicted. So if they pay 25% of, of their rent, then they cannot be evicted under SB 91, as long as they provide a declaration each month, knowing that they've been impacted by COVID. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the qualifications. So there, there's a, th- there's a few things to keep in mind about eligibility. And, and really, I just want to hit on this one though, because since the inception of the program, uh, there's been several different guidelines that have been modified since February. And so the easiest way is if there's community members that uh, are participants in social services such as WIC or CalFresh or SNAP and, and et cetera, Medi-Cal, um, that's an automatic, which means you will be eligible for this program. So you, so you don't actually have to be like, you didn't have to uh, be infected with COVID to get it or have a uh, 
direct, you know. It, it's an indirect. Uh, you have to have you have to have a COVID impact directly or indirectly. So okay. some people obviously have had, you know, been Im- impacted financially. Financial, right? Um, That's probably the majority of what you're getting. Right, and so, um, but others have, you know, they've had to. They're still able to work. Um, some that don't, maybe they're on unemployment. Um, so there's other various forms. So if you're not a participant in any of those programs, you have to meet an area median income. And there's a table on the on the city website. So depending on how many individuals you have in your household, and what that median income looks like, uh, then that'll 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 let you know if you're 50 percent. So if you're under 50 percent of the of the median income, then you will qualify um, as a first priority for this program. Okay. If you're above 51% of that area median income up to 80%, then we will process those after the after those that meet the 50% or less. Oh wow, okay. Yeah. So our priority is is goes in in, the, in that in that way. Interesting. So do you anticipate I mean how long do you think it's going to take the city and um, the organizations you're working with to distribute 35 million dollars in funds? Do you think this will be like the, you know, the PPP loans where everyone rushed in and you know the first wave of funding was gone? I mean wh- what kind of reaction are you getting from the community and Well, know? initially we so we have about 4900 applications that have been submitted and that are under review with our staff. Um so far, we've distributed uh, 1.6 million, and I know that's a small fraction. Um, so really, it's about get, not only just getting the word out, but but some of the challenges and barriers that we've been encountering, and even discussions with other cities such as Long Beach, um, Stockton, Bakersfield, um, they're all experiencing the same sort of challenges as far as not not just getting the word out there, but I think it's some of it is a little bit, you know, when you when you see a program like this, you think you're going to be inundated with documentation and we mm-hmm. have to go through this process. So sometimes I think that scares off a little bit of, you know, some people. Yeah. Um, uh, but we're really, really uh, also seeing the fact that I think with some of the assistance from the federal government and other ways like stimulus and all these other areas or unemployment, um, we saw that the utility arrear, I mean, I'm sorry, rental arrears, we're maybe not as, as bad as we initially thought. They're still existing. They're still out there. But I think just not as, as, as large as we saw. So well, that's, um, that's encouraging. That's good news, right? Y- y- I mean, that's what you want to see. Right. And so we, we do we do have some, di- some some deadlines that are in place where we have to expend this money. But um, the discussions that we've been having with the state, uh, just to get clarification about uh, those deadlines and other modifications that they, cause they, they're just trying to make it easier for us to be able to help people. We know right. that it's a need and people need help now. Right. right. And we're trying to, we're trying to do that in an mm-hmm. expedited fashion, obviously. And so they're looking at making some modifications as far as timelines and being able to have some more flexibility for us to be able to distribute that money. Okay. So, uh, if a family puts in an application, uh, for this assistance, um, and we'll say, you know, they're in the first priority category. Um, about how long does it take to have the application processed right now? You know, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> and I think it really depends on, again, what's being submitted to us because we're having to work with landlords that need to submit like a W-9. They need to submit a rental statement, a rental ledger to show what the rental arrears are. If that's not provided, we have affidavits in place for our tenants. So in case, um, even when it comes to income issues, if they don't, um, th- there's a, a zero income affidavit, which means they haven't been working at all. They can, under penalty of perjury, they can say, I haven't been working, I got no income. Or if I'm only cash, I've just been paying cash um, because I do side jobs, whatever the case may be, they just need to document that for us to this affidavit. So as long as we get the inf- those types of information and we have se- essentially two applications, one by the landlord, one by the tenant, our database will see that both have applied and then it merges them. And then hopefully the review process will go quickly after that. Again, usually it's quicker when we find community members that are that are participants of these social services because that's sort of like an automatic okay. sort of um, it speeds up the process a lot faster. All right. Well, we've got to take a quick break. Um, we're here talking with Chris Montalongo. Am I saying that right? Montalongo. Okay, good. Um, He is the Deputy Chief of Staff for the Mayor's Office, and we're here talking about the Emergency Rental Assistance Program through the City of Fresno. Um, To find out more, uh, stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN, and we'll be right back after this commercial break.
Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Kim Huckabee filling in this week for your host, Don Scordino. And today we're here talking um, with Chris Montelongo, the Deputy Chief of Staff from the Mayor's Office. Uh, The focus of the show today has been sort of all about housing and how we can mitigate the impacts of COVID-19 on home ownership and you know, uh, folks out there dealing with issues with their rental property. All of these things are so intertwined. Um, And we have Chris here today just, you know, helping us really get into one piece of it. And that is the folks that are out here um, in Fresno that might need help either if you're a landlord um, and tenants, you know. uh, So we're talking again about the Emergency Rental Assistance Program and thank you again for being here, Chris. No, again, thank you. We really appreciate uh, you know, the opportunity to be here to, to talk about the Emergency Rental Assistance Program. Awesome. Um, you know, one of the things that we were talking about before the break that I, I hope to dive into just a little bit more uh, is about, you know, the process and uh, qualifications and different things that people might be intimidated by or maybe they think they're, they're not going to qualify. You know, um, maybe they think it's a scam. I don't know. All kinds of things. We you know, but we want to make sure we get the information out there and let them know that this resource is available. Um, right. An incredibly important resource to keep people in, you know, in their homes and, you know, to essentially help landlords, especially the mom and pop, mm-hmm. you know, shops that depend on the rent to pay the mortgage. Um, yeah. Really, really important resource that um, you're trying to, you know, get distributed here in the city. Right. And, and, and again, I just want to encourage, you know, the audience, if you're a landlord, you're a tenant, um, we hope that our landlords can, can sort of facilitate, you know, this with their tenants and, and really be helpful in this process. Because again, like you mentioned, our mom and pops have been impacted and, uh, you know, this is an opportunity for them to, to apply. Um, and the way they can do that is, is via our website. Um, if they so have both any, the landlord can apply and the tenant. Yeah, so we need the landlord to actually fill out an application. And on our website, there's an area that says landlord, and then there's an area for tenant because we need both. You know, docu- we need documentation from both. Again, the landlords really like their W nine um, property information. I mean, it's and again, it's it's fairly simple. They they provide even a rental ledger just so we can have an understanding of what those rental arrears look like. Um, and uh, again, from the tenant standpoint. If they are a participating in social services, they just have to show us a verification letter that they are. That's the easiest for eligibility. Um, if they do not participate in that, then they have to disclose income verification. So, you know, uh, uh, W-2s, um, unemployment, um, so the 2020 tax. So just, there, there's some flexibility. Y- y- yeah. And we, know, we don't want to inundate them. Again, we're just trying to follow the guidelines that the state and the feds have put into place. But if we can get those documents in, um, again, a rent statement, if the owner is not able to provide it, but the tenant can provide that. Um, and really, it just, again, as long as we can prioritize them based on their area of median income. So that's where their income verification part is important. So if we can identify the rental arrears and we can identify their income or their lack of income, that that's also, again, when I mentioned the affidavits previously, if they said they have no work or haven't worked or if they're working side jobs or whatever they, they have an affidavit they can fill out specifying that income or, or or lack of income right and again this is um this program will you know assist with uh, you know emergency rental assistance fine you know financial help uh from april 2020 to march so if you were you know you haven't paid rent since april of 2020 up and you know till today right you could potentially apply for, yeah. for yeah. funding for this yeah. that if, entire if you, period. If you qualify, and that's why I want to encourage the landlords out there. I know Governor Newsom recently came out and talked about maybe a modification of this where he's willing to pay 100% mm-hmm. of rental arrears. Now, we're still waiting for that because the language isn't official from the legislature yet. But with this program, we will pay 80% of that rental arrears. Mm-hmm. And again, priority one is those that are under the 50% AMI. Do you have an idea of what, let's just say, a four-person family? Yeah, so I have, a, I have the table in front of me. So a four-person uh, with, with four individuals in their household, right, if they make uh, less than 34850 then they fall under that 30, they fall under that 50% income limit. 
Now, that same household, if they are at an income of $55,750, they are at that 80% income. Mm-hmm. So we would, we would obviously, we're going to process these applications. So they can the, still apply now, even oh, yeah. if they're priority too. Absolutely. But you're going to get you're going to distribute funds to everyone that's qualified and their applications process to priority one first before you start distributing. Right. Sort of. Even if they come in all in this week, say mm-hmm. we get a, a hundred of them and 50 of them or 50% AMI, we're going to, we're going to send out funding for those. And if the other 50, once we're done with those and we're going to go and, mm-hmm. you know, pay the, the, the 80% AMIs. And then to go into a little bit of detail, because this also includes utility arrears, we oh, will yeah. Pay, so, yeah. Yeah. Talk, let's talk about that for a minute. I'm not familiar really at all with yeah. what's going on with the so, utilities. So we're in conversations with PG&E right now at the moment because we're starting to shift into paying utilities, which we haven't done so far because right. we've been focusing just on rental arrears. Um, this program will pay 100% of the utility arrears within that same time period, but the payment goes strictly to the utility provider. So PG&E, um, electricity, gas, internet, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing, we will be paying. Um, we will be shifting into that priority at the moment. And is that a separate application? Or it's the same. It's the same application. So same thing. same okay. application, and, and, it, and there are there are fields in there in that application that will identify what your balance is, and they also have the ability to upload again all the documents for eligibility and also bills for you know utility bills, internet bills. Um, and again, we're working with PG&E right now to to, to uh, see how we can reconcile and, and facilitate what that might look like when we do start to pay uh, utilities for customers here in Fresno. Okay. So with the utilities, um, is that sort of, you know, the same thing as the rent? Does it go back to the same timeline, April 2020? Same, same, same time frame. Okay. And again, one other thing I want to also emphasize is because this is a housing stabilization type mm-hmm. of issue, um, those that are ap- those that are within the household, not even the applicant, if there's somebody in their household that that it, via the applicant that has been unemployed for 90 days, they ought also automatically become a priority one for us because that creates a you know housing stability tort- type of issue. So I do want to also emphasize right. that. So I mean that's really encouraging. So so you know families that you know are above that median uh income shouldn't be discouraged there's a lot of ways that you can sort of automatically qualify or um i mean really anyone qualifies they're just going to be in that second priority too right as long as they fall within that 50 percent to you know 80 percent we're even the state even identified if there's individuals or households that are 30 percent ami I mean, you obviously need to focus on those which mm-hmm. which we have been doing and again the f- there's a fourth priority, and the fourth priority will be prospective rents. Those that are still struggling have been impacted by COVID going forward. Um, we have the ability to pay three months of rent forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, again, we're just not there yet because we still want to focus on those that, that fall within that time frame of last April to to March of this year. Oh, what an undertaking. Yeah, that's going to be a job. Yeah. yeah. What else can you tell us about the program process what 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 do you want the our listeners to know well again it, it's really to encourage you know our landlords and tenants those that have been financially and it's not even a financial impact we we found some applicants that were uh you know they were they were making a little bit more money even on unemployment unfortunately with with those benefits but you know a lot of people had to stay home from work because their kids were distance learning you know some were hospitalized um, there, there's a, a lot of different situations out there on how individuals have been impacted. And so we just want to lead them, go to the website. If you have, if you don't have the ability to, to apply online, if you prefer a hard copy, we, we could provide a hard copy. You could fill it out that way. Um, you know, we, we just want to be able to help and facilitate however we can, um, you know, really because there, there's a lot of, there's, you mentioned resource, there's a lot of money out there that can really help a whole lot of people within our community. And again, this is strictly the city of Fresno. The county has its own, because we've been getting inundated with, <laughs> initially with a lot of county applicants, uh, but the county also has a similar program that they're implementing, which is the same, same, same criteria. Okay. So if you live within the city of Fresno. Right limits you would apply through this program right and if you have questions you can email us at erap at fresno.gov and you can give us a call at area code 559-621-6801 again we have staff that are able to to help with field any sort of questions or application issues that 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 come about well thank you chris that's very good information for our listeners out there um 
so let's talk a little bit about, you know, how, do, how does it work if, you know, it's approved and, you know, landlord, tenant both apply? Does the city uh, just direct payment directly to the landlord or property management company? Yeah. So once we get to the point where we approve an application, again, both applicants, the landlord and tenant apply uh, in that in that sense, we get to a point where we pay. Now we pay directly. We pay the landlord. Okay. So we pay the landlord. Now, if they are working with a property management company or somebody that is their authorized, uh, um, you know, sure. agent, mm-hmm. then, then we work with their property management company. Um, and so that payment does does go to them. They get notified that they've, you know, that they've, they're, they're about to receive payment. They've been approved. Well, we send notification that they've been, you know, denied if they maybe didn't meet the qualifications for whatever reason. Sure. Um and then again, if, if we do have, we, we do have some, not, not, not many at all, but if there are landlords that do not participate, um, then I, I still want to encourage those tenants have the ability to still apply. But no, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, so if right now, if a landlord says, you know, I no, I need a hundred percent, you know, maybe the tenant hasn't been paying rent. So they, they just say they're not going to participate in this program for now because, you, you know, they right. would lose some some funding that they may need. Um, then what happens? Yeah, so if they if they tell us that they w- are not willing to participate. And participate means you're just accepting under the state legislation right. a lesser, 80%, right? Is it 80? No, no. So if they participate, if they participate in the program, we pay 80% as long as we have the landlord and the tenant working right. together. But if the landlord says, I don't want to be part of this program, I'm not going to participate, and the tenant applies then and the tenant the tenant is eligible then we have the ability to pay 25 percent of that rental arrears uh within that time frame of april of last year to march this year and again it's only 25 percent because that's consistent with sb 90 right 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 and so and you know busting out your crystal ball there's a chance that um you know the legislation or the language might shift to a hundred percent right which would be wonderful and we're pretty confident that that's what's going to happen. Okay. You see, this the show is, you know, really turning out positive today. When we start with a housing crisis, but I think this is exactly sort of what we're talking about, though, right? I mean, this is a piece of the puzzle and a way to, you know, keep folks in their homes. We have a lot more we have to address, but um, it's a good start. Yeah. So... Well, Chris, we are about out of time. I want to thank you again for being here. Do you want to give that website one more shout out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that website is, let's see, you can go directly to the city website, which is fresno.gov. And at the very bottom of that, there's an emergency uh, rental assistance uh, area. And if you want to go straight to that, it's era.fresno.gov. Um, and again, all the questions, frequently asked questions, application, multiple languages. And again, we, we want to thank our, our, our CBO partners that are also helping with um, spreading the word and, and helping out our, our community with this emergency rental assistance program. Great, great. Well, thank you again. And we are out of time. Uh, thank you for listening to Welcome Home Radio. We appreciate it. Be sure to t- tune in next week. I'll be back one more time filling in for your host, Don Scordino. Thank you, Kim. Appreciate it.